What do you dream about? You know, when I was young, my parents said that I used to sleepwalk all the time. My bedroom was on the ground floor and everybody else was, you know, up a floor and a half. Uh, They said one night in the middle, they just heard all this yelling and banging. And so they got up and they ran downstairs and they said I was banging on the, uh, the washing machine. Yelling, Mike! Twin brother, Mike! Let me in! Apparently thought he was in the washing machine and, you know, since that point in time I've really been scarred with doing laundry and uh, so thankfully Cheryl does it. That was actually the one domestic chore I liked doing, but she loved doing laundry, so anyway. Uh, the other night, Cheryl and I were sitting on the couch, and it was like 11, 11.30, and Bailey, our Cocker Spaniel, was sprawled out on the carpet, snoring. And then all of a sudden, she starts growling and barking, but she's still asleep. You know, and she's like... <laughs> I don't know if Winston, uh, the Hawkins dog, was tormenting her. I don't know if she was chasing a squirrel. I don't know if it was the mailman. I don't know what it is about the mailman. You know, it's like they put mail in our box. We must bark at them. You know, got to keep them away from our house. I don't know what Bailey was dreaming about, but if you ever wonder if dogs dream, at least Bailey does. But I don't know what your brain is filled with in the middle of the night. I don't know, you know, if you're sitting in a quiet place and all of a sudden you start daydreaming, I don't know where you go. But God has a dream. It's for all creation, for all mankind. It's personal. It's for you. But think back to 2,000 years ago over in Acts chapter 2. It was a day just like this. Jews from all over the world had come to Jerusalem to have a great holiday, a great celebration. And they're just there on the day of Pentecost, enjoying life, probably not expecting much, thinking that this day will be just like Every other day. And in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now I want you to picture this scene and imagine that you're in the audience and you're just kind of there living life and all of a sudden there's these tongues of fire, there's this wind and the men up on stage start preaching in languages that you know. You're going, wait. What in the world is going on? 
says in verse 12, they're amazed, they're perplexed. What, what does this mean? And you'd be trying to figure out the same thing. They're like, wait, what's, what's going on? How are they speaking in Japanese? How are they speaking in Mandarin? How do they know uh, Korean? You know, what, all these different languages, how, how, do they, how do they know this? Even some said, ah, they've just had too much wine to drink. In verse 14, Peter stands up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. I like the fact that he says it's only nine in the morning. Apparently if it was later in the day... Maybe that was a possibility, but since it's only nine in the morning, that's helping substantiate the fact that they're not drunk. You know, if you've ever flown on a plane, you know, usually you're one of two people. You either like the aisle seat because you get more room, or you like the window seat because you want to see what's going on. And uh, I like the aisle seat. My wife likes the window seat. But, you know, the thing, the only bummer about the aisle seat is sometimes there's really, really cool things to see out the window. And you don't get to see. You know, you've got this window about that big, and usually what you see is either a blue sky or a dark sky. You know, and you don't have any perspective. But if you can get close to that window, all of a sudden your field of vision opens up, and you can take in what's really going on. And a lot of times this is what happens in God's plan. You know, when you're at a distance from what God is doing, or there's a prophecy and it says, hey, here's what's going to happen, it's like looking at a distance to that little window on the plane. You get like a little glimpse and you're kind of like, okay, I think I know what's happening. But then as you get closer to it, all of a sudden your perspective widens out. And you, you get the whole understanding and you're like wow this is spectacular Peter's saying hey let me bring you close to the window because I want you to see what's going on because you know they're just seeing this little snapshot and they're trying to figure out what's going on are they drunk you know and Peter's like no 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 let me expand your vision he says this is what Joel talked about and the Jews oh they would have been really familiar with what Joel said. And he quotes, he says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. I mean, you can just see as he's quoting this passage, the energy and the passion that he's saying, no, this is it. Like I'm bringing you closer to the window and here's the crescendo. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone 
Not just the Jews. Everyone. He said, this is it. This is what's going on. This is what it's all about. I get people ask. It says, well, he's quoting from Joel. It says, in the last days, but that was 2,000 years ago. So how could that be the last days if it's still been 2,000 years? No, you know what? There's, there's many times in the Bible where it will reference the last days. There's a lot of last days. In this case, it was the last days of Judaism. I should say biblical Old Testament Judaism. You know, with the temple worship. Because the Romans came in, destroyed the temple, and that ushered in Christianity. But so, in case you're wondering about that. But Joel's like, it's going to be an amazing time. You know, the Holy Spirit is working. All these tongues of fire and all these different languages, you know, that's to get your attention. Why? Because God has a dream. And let me tell you what it is. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, sometimes dreams take you from reality to fantasy land. Sometimes dreams take you from fantasy to reality. And you feel like, wow, I'm, I'm living a dream. It's not in my subconscious. I'm actually living it. I'm experiencing it. This is amazing. This is a dream. It's, it's awesome. And I get to be a part of it. And that's what Peter is trying to communicate to this group of thousands of Jews. He goes on to quote some great prophecies that David said about Jesus. And he goes on to tell them who Jesus was and what he did. And he gets to verse 36. And he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You know, Peter stands up and he tells his group of thousands listen, the dream is for you, but not just for you. It's for your children, it's for the generations to come. Say, Peter's saying, hey, I want to bring you all the way to the window. So you get the full glimpse of what God's trying to do. Say, so what, what do you dream about? You know, sometimes we dream about getting a new house or a new job or a new car or a certain vacation. You know what God's dream was? That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 2,000 years ago, 
God said, hey, here's my vision. Here's my dream. Here's what matters. Here's what counts. And Peter was doing his best to communicate that to the audience. It says those who accepted his message were baptized. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. They heard that sermon and they're like, oh, that's an amazing dream. I want to share in that dream. Go over to 2 Corinthians 5. If you're going to share in God's dream... It begins with making a connection with reconciliation. You know, the dream can be out there, but without reconciliation, without connecting with that, the dream will always be separate from your life. But Paul communicates this later, and he says in verse 17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, we're 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is coming. You're like, that's what we want. Right? Even though we get older, we're new, we're refreshed, we're rejuvenated. The old is gone, the new has come. It says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the word, the world to himself in Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You know, like analogies, and I'm always trying to find analogies that, that can help, you know, me connect with a certain passage or help you connect. You know, I was thinking about this passage and like, what, you know, what's a good analogy that we can um, agree on for reconciliation? Say, think about school. And you take a test. And you really don't know how you did. In some cases, maybe you didn't care all that much. In some cases, it matters a whole lot. But you're just living your school life. And then the moment where you know, the professor or the teacher hands back the grades. And maybe it's, um, you know, like my differential equations professor from Germany, and he would hand out your midterms publicly. And he would say so-and-so. Here's what you got. And then he would go and hand you your exam. And let's just say you get your exam and it was just one of those moments you actually thought you were doing better. You thought you knew the material and you get your exam and you realized it's an F. And all of a sudden, like, oh my goodness. Um, you know, you're thinking thoughts like, what am I going to tell my parents? Uh, you're embarrassed in front of your peers. 
uh, you, you're shocked because you thought you're in one place, but you get your exam score, realize you're in a totally different place. And you're just sitting there like, oh, I'm doing terrible. If you're in college, you hope, is it before the drop date? I should have checked on rateyourprofessor.com. I knew this guy was terrible. And then right then he goes, okay, but I got an option for you. And I'll give you extra credit. And so I will completely wipe this out. And if you just do this extra credit assignment, I'll give you 100. All of a sudden you're going to be like, Seriously? I mean, I got an F, but you're going to give me the opportunity to have a hundred recorded. Because you don't have to, but the opportunity is there. It's like, how would you feel? Like, just in a moment, you'd go from, oh, I got an F. So, man, this professor's awesome. I love German people. <laughs> I'm going to tell all my friends to take this guy. I mean, you'd go tell your friends, this guy is incredible. Like, let me, let me share with you the opportunity that I got. Now remember, it's, it's not required to do the extra credit. But he says... Here's where the project is. Here's when it's due. Here's the classroom, and here's the time. You don't need to be there. You know, you wouldn't just walk on campus and happen to show up in that room unless you intended to. And you wouldn't intend to go there if you already had a hundred. You see the point? You just wouldn't wander aimlessly into the extra credit department. You'd only go there if you feel like you needed it. And so the bad news could become the good news. But you wouldn't find out about the good news unless you accepted the bad news. You see, sometimes people struggle with the concept of the bad news so they don't want to deal with the good news. Now, let's follow the analogy so you get an F. You could also go, well, stupid professor. I mean, I know the material, but the things he tested on that was so unfair. I mean, this guy doesn't even know his stuff. It's ridiculous. I deserve an A. You know, that's how some people view God. What? Well, if God loved me, He wouldn't even create me with the ability to sin. Well, the reason why life's got problems is this set of circumstances and how I was raised and this and that. And so it's not my fault. It's just a dumb God. So we don't show up for reconciliation because we're stuck being mad at the professor. You 
see, that's, that's why Paul says in chapter 6, verse 1, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You're like, why does this even need to be in here? Because the human heart can hear the good news and go, eh, I don't think so. Not for me. We see the results. We see our need for reconciliation. And we go, ah, whatever. Sometimes we try and discredit the source. Ah, the Bible is just written by men. We don't need to follow that. We're fine. As long as you're a loving person, you're going to go to heaven. And we miss out on the dream. You see, you can't participate in the dream if you won't acknowledge your need for reconciliation. My sin put Jesus on the cross. You know, before I seriously studied the Bible, what I would have told you? Our sin put Jesus on the cross. All our sin put Jesus on the cross. The sin of the whole world put Jesus on the cross. That's what I would have told you. You know why? Because it's true. But it's so impersonal. You know, this isn't, back to the analogy, graded on a curve. Oh, well, we all failed, so, you know, actually got a good score. I remember one class I took, there were 80 students in there, electricity and magnetism. Oh, yeah, it was exciting. Uh, And I got a 39 on the first midterm, 39 out of 100, not a 39 out of 40. And I I was depressed. I was like, I just got an F. It's terrible. I've never gotten a 39 on, on anything. A 39? What's a 39? On the next day at class, he goes, let's put the curve on the board. The average was a 29. I got a B. <laughs> there were two physics grad students in there like, why are you in this class? They were in the 80s. And then a buddy of mine, he's now a professor at Caltech and JPL, he was in there, and he got a 70. Then there was nobody in the 60s, 50s, 40s, and the bell curve started at 39. I got a B. (laughs) This isn't that. We're not comparing ourselves with the people next to us. We need reconciliation. And Peter unveils the dream and Paul's reinforcing it. And he's like, come on. God's like, the salvation's, the door's open. You need reconciliation. Your sin put Jesus on the cross. He said, well, I live a pretty good life. Nobody lives a pretty good life. If you sin one time, you live a horrible life because that one sin will keep you out of heaven. 
So are you connected with your need for reconciliation? That's where the dream begins. You go, well, that's bad news. Well, no, but it's the gateway to the good news. You know, sometimes in relationships you find out that you have either intentionally or unintentionally hurt somebody's feelings. So there's a wedge. Now, let's just assume you have no idea that you've done this. There's still a wedge. And then somebody goes, hey, um, I think you need to sit down with so-and-so because they're not resolved with you. And you're like, first moment, you're like, what? What do you mean they're not resolved? Like, that's bad news. I hurt somebody's feelings. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Why do they think their feelings are hurt? Maybe they shouldn't think their feelings are hurt. And all of a sudden, we got all this stuff. There's still a wedge. But now that you know it, you can sit down and resolve it. So the good news is to get it worked out. Don't run from the bad news. Don't run from reconciliation. You say, well, how should we feel? Well, how'd they feel in Acts 2? They were cut to the heart. I said, what shall we do? That's a good response. That's the same response as getting an F and going, hey, is there any extra credit I I can do to change my F to an A? That's acknowledging the offense and saying, hey, do I have any other options? And he goes, oh, yeah, do this and I'll give you 100. Yes. But you're not going to get that open door unless you're willing to accept the truth of what Paul says. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Who's us? You and me. Them and every one of us that read it. That means Jesus died for you and because of you. I don't like the sound of that. I don't like to hear that Jesus died because I got drunk. I don't like to hear that Jesus died because I was immoral, because I did drugs, because I got angry, because I was selfish, because I was proud. I don't want to hear that. But I can either carry all that around and say, I don't want to hear that, and just take my F. Or I can say, it is true. What can I do? You say, what's the dream? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that amazing? You see, Peter just unveils what was a mystery. For centuries, God's people had looked through this little porthole and they were like, well, I know the prophets say that something's going to happen. It's going to be pretty cool. It's going to be amazing. We're not quite sure. And Peter's like, here, let me open up the door so you can see clearly. You know, sometimes you come to church and you're not really expecting anything. You're just like, hey, you know, I'd like a place to go. Here's some songs, but not really looking to make any commitments. Then you hear, wait. So what you're saying is my sin put Jesus on the cross? 
Yeah. You're like, man, I wish I would have stayed in bed. It is the truth. And if you connect with the message of reconciliation, then you've got the hope of the grace of God. You know, the fact is, we need to be urged sometimes. You know why? Because we have competing dreams. Because sometimes the things that we want are in conflict. And God's saying, hey, take on my dream. And you're like, no, I'm busy because I got other plans. Well, the Bible says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You go, well, that's a lot of people. Yeah, but what if there were 50,000 that heard the sermon? That means 47,000 heard the same sermon and said, no, not today. You say, why? Because there's commitments involved. You've got to change your life. You've got to change your values, your priorities. Christians make decisions differently than the rest of the world. Our family values are different. What we live for is different. You know, as a Christian, our top value is help as many people as possible get to heaven. We help the save stay saved, and we help save the lost. Because at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. You know, that's different than what the world cares about. And dreams can compete. And so Paul says, man, I urge you. Live God's vision. You know, it's amazing when you see God's vision played out in in people's lives. It was so incredible to be texting back and forth with Garrett on Friday about becoming my brother in Christ. Because Garrett and I had been studying the Bible and having good talks for more than a year. And I just told him, I'm so proud of you, just make sure somebody videotapes it. And just a few minutes after, they, they posted it in the hotel swimming pool with more than 200 college students around. They were fired up, and so was Garrett. And I just thought, you know, it's awesome. Garrett went to the retreat with an F. He came home with 100%. I'm fired up for Garrett. Now, think about Nelson Stepanian. You're from Moscow. A lot of us got to see him get baptized a couple weeks ago. But I'll tell you what, our, our, our Russian brothers and sisters were so fired up to see a video of Nelson's baptism and hear Nelson speaking to them in Russian. Knowing that, man, they got a brother in Santa Clarita. That's from Moscow. And once he finishes his school and graduates, he's going to go home and stand side by side with them and preach the word. 
Man, they were fired up because it's like, it's one ours, even over in Santa Clarita. I told them, I'll make a deal with you. We'll send all Russians back to Russia. You baptize people from Valencia, you got to send them back. They said, okay. So we made an official agreement. Now think about next weekend. Cheryl and I get to fly to Halifax, Nova Scotia. And we get to baptize, well, not we, me. Uh, get to baptize Murray McCrossin, my brother-in-law, into Christ. His wife, Elizabeth, has been a disciple for 13 years. And Elizabeth got baptized 18 years after her older sister, Cheryl, got baptized. That's just so amazing. I mean, Marty Udall studied with him. Greg Taylor studied with him. Most of you got a chance to meet both Marty and Greg and their wives. They've come and visited. Greg studied the Bible with me, Ron Quint, 26 years ago. Marty was my first discipleship partner in Toronto. And I'm thinking, man, it's just amazing how God works that generations later, these two same guys, God's using to help my brother-in-law become a disciple from 4,000 miles away. It's just amazing. God's incredible. But should we be all that surprised? No. Because would Peter say, no, Joel said this was going to happen. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whether you're 4,000 miles away or not. You know, if there's an open-hearted Moscovite, God can even save him in Santa Clarita. God can do whatever he wants. He's amazing. So how do you feel about his vision? Will you join the dream? You've got to connect with reconciliation. I'm going to close over in Romans chapter 10. Verse 11 of Romans 10. And, uh, you know, the whole book of Romans is Paul's argument of how superior salvation by faith is compared to salvation by law or works or, you know, the Old Testament way. And so, you know, just so you know, that's what the whole book's about. And he's getting into the meat of his material and he's like, guys, this is amazing. It says um, in verse 11 that anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. He said, well, why is that good news? Because for the Jews, they would trust in God. But if your salvation is based upon your ability to be perfect, even if you trust in God, how perfect will we ever be? So we're going to always feel lousy about our life. And he says, no, 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 this is different. It's a whole different plan. This is a better dream. He says in verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He quotes from Joel. He quotes from what Peter quoted in Acts chapter 2. But then he says, But how can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? 
And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all Israel accepted the good news. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. You know, Paul says, listen, it's an amazing dream. He says, you need to be excited to be a part of it. But not just for yourself. You need to go share the dream. You know, it's kind of like if you get this really awesome coupon deal. You don't just go, oh, I'm going to use it. No, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to use it. I'm going to call all my friends and tell them about this amazing deal. It's the same thing. Like, hey, I can turn my F into an A. I can go from separated from God to intimately connected with God. And the opportunity is there for you. But how can they believe without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? You know what? I want to officially send you into Santa Clarita to share the good news. Just like Peter did 2,000 years ago. To open up the perspective and tell people about God's dream. Because he wants as many as possible sharing in the dream. Say, what will you do? Say, how will you live? No, the fact is, if you're not living the dream right now, you need to get in God's dream. Let me tell you, human dreams will disappoint you every single time. If you go, ah, I lost hope in dreams. Not if you live in God's dream. But yeah, if we're living for something other than God's dream, it'll fall short, it'll pale in comparison, we'll end up frustrated and empty. They go, man, I really thought this was the answer. And then I achieved it. And it's just, nah, my life stinks. You know what? God's dream's amazing. Not just for you, but for me and for all the generations past. God's trying to invite you into his world. You know, God's dream. Let's us live the fantasy. God's dream lets us live in amazing perspective. Peter made it clear in Acts 2. But now we have that responsibility. So if you've been studying the Bible, if you're not sure what's going on in your spiritual life, sit down with somebody. Connect with reconciliation. And start living the dream. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. That's the good news of God. Say, today's a day. Look at what's available and make a decision to start living the dream. And if you've been living the dream, hey, go share it with somebody else. Go tell them what God has done. Go tell them the opportunity that they have. So they can come along with us. God has an amazing dream. And he wants to share it with each of us. Amen. Let's stand as we close in a final song.